All right, so today is going to be pretty fun. It's our fourth sermon in a sermon series on the Gospel of John. And today, Pastor Stetson is doing it. And I've already heard it. And I'm super inspired. There's going to be a conversation following the sermon. And I, I am just excited to get to that part. But for us to get to that point, so do the people on the other side. So pay attention Enjoy it, be inspired, and join us for the conversation after. Hey, everybody. Uh, thank you for letting me be a part of your day. I'm really excited to get to be a part of yours. Uh, today, we are going to continue our journey through the book of John, and we've only just started. Uh, today, we are looking at the story where Jesus invites the first group of people to come and follow him. But we are going to be seeing so much more than that in this story. The more that I have read this passage and the more that I've read the book of John, the more convinced I have become that John, the guy who wrote this, is a literary genius because buried underneath this story are codes and clues and secrets and hidden treasures. Uh, you know how in movies and TV shows, conspiracy theorists usually have a wall covered in newspaper articles with red yarn tying it all together? Well, the more that I've read John, the more I've begun to feel like that guy. Because the more that I've read this passage, uh, the more layers and patterns and connections I've seen. And beneath those layers are more patterns and more connections and, and more layers. And it started to get a bit overwhelming. And to clarify my thoughts, I was up at my office at Zoe's and on a piece of paper, I printed out all the verses that we're going to be looking at together today. And I didn't break out the red yarn, but I got highlighters and pens of different colors. And I just started highlighting things and underlining things and circling things and drawing things and connecting things together. And it looked a mess. It looked like something someone would make if they were a bit unhinged. And Pastor Nathan, his desk is next to mine. And he walks into the office and without warning, I show him this piece of paper. And I, I think I said something crazy like, it's all connected. And he looked at me like you would look at someone when they say, it's all connected and show you something like that. He was like, oh, that's very nice. Like, can't wait to hear it. That's great. So either John is this literary genius or I got a little bit carried away. Or maybe it's a little bit of both. But either way, I am really excited to show this to you because one, it is full of so many incredible things. But two, I hate to say it, but it's all connected. I really believe it is. And it points us towards Jesus asking us this beautiful question and giving us this beautiful invitation and making this beautiful promise that speaks to something deep inside of every one of us. But before we get to that, let's just read the story together. This is John chapter 1, verse 35 through 51. And it goes like this. The next day, again, John, the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? 
And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right, at the beginning of this story, these two followers of John the Baptist hear John say, that's the guy I've been telling you about. And so they go and they follow behind Jesus. And Jesus turns around and he asks them a question. He says, what are you seeking? And at first glance, this feels like the 2000 year old Middle Eastern way of saying, can I help you with something? But that's not at all what Jesus is asking here. Because in the original Greek language that this was written in, that word seek is this very deep intentional form of seeking. This is the type of seeking you do when you've lost something that belongs to you. This is the seeking that you do when you're waiting for something that someone promised to give to you and it hasn't arrived yet. So these people are following Jesus and he turns around and he asks them, what are you seeking that belongs to you, but you've lost it? What are you waiting for that has been promised to you? Jesus is asking, what are you seeking beneath the thing that you think you're seeking? I'm sure this has happened to all of us before. Can you remember the last time that you found yourself holding open the fridge door and staring inside and all of a sudden you realize that you're not actually hungry? It's kind of a disorienting feeling. It feels like you were sleepwalking and all of a sudden you woke up and there you are standing in front of the fridge and you think to yourself, wait a minute, I'm not hungry. Why am I here? What am I looking for? These two men, they're standing in front of Jesus and he says, why are you here? What are you looking for? What are you seeking? And that question, what are you seeking, sinks down to the core of every single one of us. Because I believe all of us are constantly seeking as if we have lost something that belongs to us, as if we are waiting for something that someone has promised to give us. 
At times, it feels like there is a bigger story happening and we are a part of it, but we're not quite sure what that story is. And we're trying to figure that out. Sometimes it feels like we're all connected somehow, but we're not sure how or why. And we're trying to solve that mystery too. At times it feels like we're incomplete and there are these missing pieces to us. And we're not sure what they are or how to get them, but, but we're trying. At times we look around and it becomes so clear that things are not as they should be. But it also seems like we know that there was a time where things were as they should be. We just can't quite remember it. And we're trying to get back to that. For some reason, I sob during Pixar movies as if they said something to me that I've waited my entire life to hear. I just didn't know it until that moment. We listen to music and stories and read books and see films that cause us to long for something on the other side of the horizon. We're not quite sure what it is, but we long for it all the same. All of this causes us to seek And like standing in front of an open fridge, as we stare into the things that we hope will explain the story or the things that will show us how we're all connected or give us the missing pieces that we've been waiting for or put everything back together as they should be or show us what we are longing for on the other side of the horizon or give us back what we had lost or give us what had been promised to us. Jesus stands next to us and gently asks, what are you seeking? And in this story with these two guys, what I love about what Jesus does here, he's so cool, is he asks this question, but instead of answering the question for these two guys, instead of solving the mystery, instead of telling them what they need or what they should believe or what they should be seeking, instead, Jesus just gives them an invitation. Come and see. And here, I think it's important to point out something that I've noticed. Remember the wall of newspaper articles and the red yarn? Here we go. So I read this a few times and started to see one word stick out more than the others. And it's this, check it out. Jesus turned and saw them. Come and you will see. So they came and saw. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael. I saw you. I saw you, you will see greater things, you will see heaven opened. The word see appears in this short passage nine times. That is a lot. And it got me really curious. What's the second most used word? Turns out it's this, take a look. He found his brother. We have found the Messiah. He found Philip. Philip found Nathaniel. We have found him. I could be giving John too much credit here, but to me, I see this very clear intentional theme of seeing and finding. And I believe this all fits together like this. Jesus compassionately sees the longing inside of us and gently asks a beautiful question. What are you seeking? And then he gives an invitation. Come and see and you will find it. Okay, before we get too carried away with that, let's take a look at the people that Jesus is inviting to come and see. Again, at the beginning of the story, we have these two followers of John the Baptist. And John says, that's it, that's the guy. And so they come and they follow Jesus. 
And we know one of these guys, his name is Andrew, and the other guy, his name isn't listed, which makes it really likely that this is John, the author of this book. And in the story, John is kind of this quiet bystander, just taking it all in. But Andrew, it seems like Andrew, he sees something special in Jesus right away because he runs and he finds his brother, Simon, and he says, Simon, we found the Messiah. And he drags Simon to Jesus. It's like Simon doesn't even have a choice. And he puts Simon in front of Jesus and something really strange happens. It says Jesus looked at him, but a better way to say it might be Jesus looked inside of him. And Jesus said to Simon, your name is Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. Okay, if you knew Peter, this might've made you laugh because if Peter is anything, it's not a rock. Because from the stories we have about Peter, at least in my opinion, he is this back and forth, up and down, spontaneous, all over the place person. Like there's a story of him jumping out of a boat, believing he has the faith to walk on water and he starts walking towards Jesus and all of a sudden he doesn't and he's asking Jesus for help because he's drowning and Jesus says, you have little faith. They're walking together later in the story and Peter says some thoughtless comment without thinking and Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. Way in the story, like towards the end, Peter is denying Jesus publicly three times when just moments before he was cutting off soldiers' ears to defend Jesus's life. This guy is all over the place. But here Jesus calls him rock. And later in the story, he's going to say, on this rock, I will build my church. And the crazy thing is, is that's exactly what he did. If you don't recognize this picture, this is St. Peter's Basilica. And it was built on top of the location that Peter was buried. And it was built to commemorate everything that God did through Peter to get his church started. Now, at the time that Jesus said this, it must have sounded ridiculous, but Peter stuck around. And I wonder if it was because as as ridiculous as this sounded, something about what Jesus said deep down sounded true, like Jesus knew something that he didn't. Okay, that's Peter. And then Jesus goes and finds Philip. It's not Philip finding Jesus, but Jesus goes after Philip and says, follow me. And that's good enough for Philip. So Philip, he runs and he goes and he finds his friend, Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, we found him. The one that we've been reading about in the scriptures. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything significant come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth is just this small town that no one ever talks about. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament ever. And, but he comes anyway, and he's kind of skeptical. And as he's approaching, Jesus sees him and he says, ah, here is a true Israelite. And that's something special. That's not just referring to anyone born in Israel. This is something you call someone when they are wholeheartedly committed to this covenant that God has made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is something you call someone who embodies the heart and the soul and the spirit of Jacob himself. And so Jesus is like saying, here is someone who gets it. This man is committed. And this actually sounds right to Nathaniel. It takes him off guard and he says, how do you know me? 
And then Jesus says such an incredible thing here. He says, I saw you sitting underneath the fig tree. Now to the Jewish people, the fig tree for many times is symbolic of Torah, the Hebrew scriptures, because fig trees, they grow all over the place. Like you can find them everywhere. And they produce fruit throughout the entire year, not just once a year. And the cool thing about the fig is you don't need to peel it and there's no pit that you need to spit out. You just eat the entire thing. The whole thing is good to eat. So you can find it everywhere. It's constantly producing fruit. The whole thing is good to eat, just like Torah. So when Jesus says, I saw you sitting underneath the fig tree, what he's probably saying is, I have watched you studying the scriptures. I have watched you meditating on these prophecies and these mysteries. I've seen you watching and waiting for the Messiah. All right, that was a lot, but here's how all of these people are connected to us. From this story, we can see that whether someone has invited you to come and see Jesus for yourself, or whether Jesus somehow has come to find you, or whether you had this weird spiritual experience that seemed kind of nuts, but deep down felt true, the invitation to you is the same. Come and see. Whether you are the quiet bystander or uh, the, the person who gets it right away and just believes right off of the bat, or you're the skeptical intellectual, or you're the theologically, philosophically minded, or you're the, the, the devoutly religious, the invitation to you is the same. Come and see. Everyone is invited. And I want to point out that belief is not the prerequisite to come and see. That's backwards. Belief is normally the outcome for those who come and see. I cannot tell you how much I love how gently and patiently and openly Jesus invites every single one of us to come and see who he is and what he's all about. When I was in college, by far the worst people at dating were my Christian friends. Because a lot of us, we grew up with this book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And if you recognize the title, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, don't read it. It's not helpful. Because of this book and just kind of Christian culture at the time, we had this idea in our heads that we should only go on a date with someone if we were almost certain that we were going to marry this person. And you see how backwards that sounds. You date to figure that out, not the other way around. And what this did is it caused my friends to have some of the most intense first dates in history. Like they would ask each other these inappropriately personal and vulnerable questions. And they would kind of quiz each other to see if they were ready to get married. And they would ask about kids and life plans and goals and where they wanted to be missionaries. And a lot of times these first dates would end with these weird ultimatums of people saying, well, if you don't feel like you're ready to get married now, I don't know if we should see each other anymore. And they scared each other off. This still happens today. Can you imagine in this story, if Andrew and John started walking behind Jesus and Jesus flipped around and said, are you willing to accept me into your heart as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? they would have backed away slowly and that would have been the end of it. But that's not what Jesus does here. Instead, 
He compassionately sees the longing inside of our hearts and gently asks the question, what are you seeking? And he extends an invitation to every single one of us. Come and see, and you will find it. And this question and this invitation unlocks my favorite layer beneath this whole story. When he asks this question and makes this invitation, something really beautiful happens here. Sometimes my wife and I, we get our two kids together and we say, we have a surprise for you. Can you guess what it is? And that is a mistake. Because instead of getting realistic guesses of what the surprise could be, we get their wildest dreams instead. And they say, are we going to the park? And we're like, no, it's snowing outside and it's nighttime. And they say, are we going to Gramsci and Grandpa's house? And we're like, no. Are we going to the zoo? We're like, no. And then we say something really anticlimactic like, we made muffins. And they cry because they're so disappointed because they're not going to the zoo. Well... In response to Jesus' question, something similar happens here with a way better outcome than just muffins. In response to Jesus' question and invitation, in this story, Jesus is called seven different things. Now, the number seven comes up a lot in John. It's meant to grab our attention so we take a deeper look at it. So Jesus is called seven different things and everything that Jesus is called is packed with layers and layers of meaning. But we can also see from the things that these people call Jesus, we see deep down what they have been seeking. And I think we can relate to that. So the very first thing Jesus is called comes from John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God. Now, John, he's, John the Baptist, he's not just making this up on the spot. He's referring back to something written in the Old Testament. See, back then, the Jewish people, they had the Bible memorized backwards and forwards. So all they had to do is say one line from a whole passage, and everyone listening would immediately think of this passage. It'd be like if I had a friend who was really discouraged and was feeling stuck in life, and, and to cheer him up, I told him, you know, you're just a small town girl living in a lonely world. He would not think for a second that I was calling him a small town girl, but his mind would go to the song, which would lead him to the chorus. And he would understand what I'm really saying is don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. So here, John the Baptist is kind of like he's singing a line of an entire song. So let's take a look at the song that the line comes from. It's this prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus was born. It's in Isaiah 53 and it goes like this. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. 
for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So just by saying Lamb of God, what John is doing, he's saying this prophecy is about you, isn't it? But we see from what John is referring to that John, like many of us, is seeking forgiveness and redemption and restoration. Right? The second thing that Jesus is called comes from Andrew and John, and they call Jesus rabbi, which means teacher. And from that, we see that these two guys, like many of us, are seeking a teacher, someone to come and tell us the story that we are a part of and solve the mysteries and guide us through life. The third thing Jesus is called comes from Andrew. He calls Jesus the Messiah, which means Christ. Those two things, they mean the same thing, the anointed one. For centuries, the Jewish people had been waiting and waiting for God to fulfill these prophecies about someone who would come and rescue their people from oppression. So we see from this that like many of us, they are seeking a rescuer to get them unstuck from where they're stuck in. All right, the fourth thing Jesus is called comes from Philip. Philip calls Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And this is really cool because in Hebrew, Jesus of Nazareth means Jesus of Nazareth. That's it, just name and place. Fifth thing comes from Philip. Philip calls Jesus son of God. And he is also singing the line of a song that's hundreds of years old. We find it in Psalm two. It goes like this. We see God the Father talking to Jesus, God the Son in this. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. From what Nathaniel is pointing back to, we see that like many of us, he is seeking justice. And the sixth thing comes from Nathaniel 2. He calls Jesus King of Israel, which again, he's singing the line of a song. Let's take a look. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Zephaniah 3. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Looking at what Nathaniel is pointing back to, we see that like many of us, Nathaniel is seeking someone to put everything back to the way that it should be because things are not as they should be. And this brings us to number seven. And this is my favorite one. 
So far, Jesus has been called six different things and he neither confirms or denies it. He's so cool. He barely even responds to it. But here, Jesus plays along and he calls himself something. And what he calls himself is full of layers and layers and layers and layers of meaning. And he says it in the very last verse of this passage in John that we've been looking at. So John chapter one, verse 51, Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus is called so many things by so many people, but almost every single time Jesus refers to himself as something, it's not Messiah or Christ or savior. It's almost always the son of man. And by saying son of man, Jesus is also singing one line of a whole song. It comes from Daniel chapter seven. This prophet Daniel, he had this really weird dream. There were these four mythical beasts that were just destroying humanity and oppressing humanity. And then Daniel sees this flaming chariot come into the scene and on this chariot is a throne and on that throne is God. But weirdly, there's a throne next to God and it's empty. So God ends up destroying these beasts and rescuing humanity from destruction and oppression. But then in this dream, Daniel sees on a cloud, someone like a son of man, which just means human, rise up on a cloud and sits on this empty throne to rule with God forever and ever and ever. So when Jesus calls himself the son of man, what he's saying is he's the one who is going to be lifted up after the beast is destroyed to rule with God forever and ever and ever. But there is another layer to this because again, son of man, it just means human. Daniel in his dream, he did not write it as a title, but as a descriptor. But Jesus takes this descriptor and turns it into a title. It's like Daniel said, there will be one like you and Jesus says, I am the one like you. But there's another side to this because again, it just means human. So in a way, Jesus is also saying, I am one like you. I know what it is to be human. I know what you're going through. I know what you're longing for. I know why you're seeking. But there is another layer to this because Jesus is also singing the line of another song. He talks about angels ascending and descending on the son of man. And this is pointing back to a dream that Jacob had in Genesis where he saw God up in heaven and these angels ascending and descending onto earth. And Jesus is referring to that, but here he says, they're ascending and descending on the son of man here, which is to say God is now here. And he is the bridge between heaven and earth. But I have been wondering if there is another layer to this too. Because again, son of man just means human. And Jesus says, you'll see angels ascending and descending on the son of man, which kind of sounds like he's saying, you will see angels ascending and descending on the human, just the average human. And I wonder if this is Jesus pointing forward to the fact that today when we put our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and we become like this temple, this place where heaven and earth collide. All right, that was a lot. 
And there's so many different places your mind can go. And maybe it is right now, but stick with me because all of this comes together. I think all of us, all of this fits together in this beautifully hidden way. Let me show you. Here are all the things that Jesus has been called in order in this passage. Who is literally at the center of all of it? Jesus of Nazareth. I could be giving John too much credit, but I wouldn't put it past him that he did this intentionally. And here's what I believe that this is communicating. And either way, I believe this to be 100% true. It's almost like this is saying, are you looking for forgiveness, for redemption, for restoration, for a teacher to guide you, for a Messiah to get you unstuck, to rescue you? Are you looking for justice to come? Are you looking for someone to make everything wrong back to right? Are you looking for someone who understands what you're going through and is here and cares for you? At the center of all of it is Jesus of Nazareth. So everything that we've talked about, here's how I see it fitting together. Jesus compassionately sees the longing inside of our hearts and gently asks us, what are you seeking? And then he, then he extends an invitation to every single one of us, no matter how skeptical or bought in we are, he invites all of us, come and see, and you will find that at the center of what you are seeking is Jesus of Nazareth. From personal experience, I have found that to be 100% true. But if you are not fully convinced, that's okay. Because it seems like that's okay with Jesus too. His invitation to you and to every one of us is to come and see for yourself. And I hope you do. Let's pray. So to start off this time of prayer, what I would love to do is just ask a couple questions and create this space for you and Jesus to ponder these questions together. So make sure you think about them, but also make sure you leave space for Jesus to give his input too. So the first thing I want you to think about is this. What are you seeking? Like deep down, what are you seeking? And, and go ahead and you can just talk to Jesus like you would talk to a friend about the things that come to mind. So I'll give you a moment to do that right now. If you need more time with that, feel free to take it. But here's another thing I eventually want you to think about. Lately, how has Jesus been inviting you to come and see? Whether you haven't been following Jesus or you've been following for a really long time, 
Lately, how has Jesus been inviting you to come and see? Has there been someone who's just been inviting you to have conversations with them? Has he been inviting you into this book of John or this sermon series? Is, is there something else that you could be reading? Is there an opportunity that has opened up to you and it's just waiting for you to step into it? Lately, how has Jesus been inviting you to come and see? Jesus, thank you for being so patient and gentle and open with us. Thank you for compassionately seeing our hearts. Thank you for moving towards us in such gentle ways that don't push us away, but draw us even closer towards you. In the ways that you have been inviting us to come and see, would you help us to hear you clearly? And, and would you help us to have the courage or whatever it is that we need to take you up on that invitation and come and see? Help us not, those of us who have been following you for a long time, help us to not assume that following you means we have arrived, but no matter how long we're following you, we're still following and you're still moving forward and we're still moving forward with you. We have never arrived and you're constantly inviting us to come and see more and more of you. Help us not to get so distracted by life that we miss that opportunity and we don't hear that invitation. We love you and we thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, uh, okay, it is time for us to have the conversation about this sermon. And um, probably, I'm just going to assume that there are things that I'm excited about, there are things Dudley's excited about, there are things that you also excited about. But there is a, there are a ton of these things tiny little yep. speckled poetic things yep. that probably are not going to be discussed here. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like we just kind of scratched the surface. Yeah. How? Um, like, I feel like a whole sermon series could be done on just this passage. It's Oh, nuts. I know. I know. How, how does it feel? So it's kind of like a feeling thing. How does it feel to have to do a sermon, like a half an hour sermon, on this passage, and you're able to see beyond the things that are typically seen, but you don't have the time to even touch them. But the things you do touch, it's like, wow! Mm -hmm. How does that feel? Uh, I, I, inspiring, I guess. Like, I don't know, it's like... You know how when uh, you're you're either at an ocean or like a really deep pool, and like the water is clear, but you still can't see the bottom, and yeah. it's like, wow, it's cool that I can see this far, and it's also kind of awe-inspiring that it goes infinitely deeper that I know, yeah. and like what's swimming down there, I have no idea, but I don't have the right equipment. It's a to, to see it. Kraken. That's that, the kraken down there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm excited for Dudley to be here, 
I'm excited to be here with you guys, with everyone. Yeah, of because course. like Dully's brilliant. Right, uh, I feel like he's been in the deep You guys give me too much credit like, here. He he is the Kraken. He's been the one in the swimming yeah, down right. there for years. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's kind of like inviting him to come out and play. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys really, you know, built me way up here high, and I'm no, just kind of trying you to down, down there, deep being into the, the depths. No, well, 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 even just outside when yeah. we were talking, you were like, "No, it's not nine; it's actually seventeen times that versus." Well, it was like, "Oh my go. gosh!" So I, yes, go. I had a conversation with Stetson. KJ, you weren't there at the moment. I was and talking he, to him. And he talked about the the nine because I said, "Well, I saw it written in there," and I opened up my Bible and I said, "There's actually like seventeen. If you add other words that are not see, but if you add the words that are like look mm-hmm. or um, recognize, so that whole like domain of kinds of words just almost doubles it. Yeah. And, uh, and so as I think about it now, I'm, and we think about the depths of John, it's like, okay, John 9, the man born blind. Now he's, he's, he's able to see and there's this progression in that chapter where everybody who is like uh, investigating him proves that they're actually blind. All right, here's it goes something the I think it's way. fun though about yeah. about John and the blind guy. Yeah, is that so? John has this theme of the garden, right? Like he's constantly mm-hmm, yeah. trying mm-hmm. to bring people back to the garden, right? That's his whole thing, and so the. Blind guy, right? He gets the thing in his eyes, and then it says that that he only sees oh, like trees, trees. No way, really. And then he sees people. <laughs> that's, that's the other healing. That's though. awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, I love it's that. like he just sees trees, and oh, then they're man. people. And so, so in J- Judaism, they believe that that in the end the Trees are the saints who make up the garden. Mm, And so there's this whole theme of like the blind guy could see trees. Uh Oh, that's so great. Oh, that's so (laughs) interesting. It really felt like this. So this is the end of chapter one. And it really felt like not just like uncovering this invitation that Jesus is giving to us, but it feels like Mm -hmm. John is inviting us into the rest of the book. Like his invitation to us in this series is also just come and see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, in in the first chapter, there's definitely this feeling of, you have to think again, it's happening in post-temple area. Yep. And... The collapse of the temple possibly even inspired him to compose this. Mm, mm-hmm. a- and he's talking to a people that are like, yeah. like this. Yep. And he brings back John the Baptist, who had been the first verbally a- a- the anti-temple guy mm, mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm. back of talking about this Greek philosophy and hyper spirituality and you know this is became a person that that was prophesied by the anti temple guy Mm -hmm. and i want to talk to you about him because his time is here Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. the other thing that john does is he always talks about the time of jesus so Mm -hmm. jesus is 
he's kind of always saying, so it isn't high time yet. Not my time yet. Not my, that's the only gospel mm. that comes. Not my time. And then at the end he says, it's my time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, it's kind of, he, he sets this, this table that he yeah. actually is going to turn over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. see what I did there? Mm-hmm. Um, nice. But yeah, he sets this table <laughs> because that happens in it, chapter yeah. 2 instead yeah. of chapter 17. Oh, that's true. He turns the table over mm. early. In John's chronology. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. yeah, because the thing that, oh man, there's so many things I don't want to get into it. <laughs> but it's, it's like <laughs> you just had, hope that they come out later in the, the, the subsequent sermon. Right, yeah. Yeah, there's so much. Because the chiastic Mm-hmm. Parallel it, 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 to this, this this idea of the turning of the table, the cleansing of the temple, and then he's the only gospel that Jesus says, destroy this temple and it will be re. Hmm. It, it, that doesn't happen in the other gospels because John's obsessed as far as the, the temple has fallen. And hmm. he's trying to say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> and there's this turning of the t- table of the people mm-hmm. who sold sacrifices right. and the chiastic parallel to that it is the selling of Jesus by Judas to the Sanhedrin mm-hmm. it's just sick that's really cool yeah that's awesome uh, but he's setting that t- table here right. that right. he's inviting and it doesn't did in. killer job of like he's inviting everybody it, yeah. it doesn't matter who you you are it's, it's kind of fun that picture you painted of saint peter's basilica peter. uh-huh. oh, yeah, yeah, the basilica. Okay. Okay. just the character of peter i thought let's go like me you know like <laughs> all over the place and like i'm all in then like i don't know anymore you yeah, know like yep. man i have so much compassion for that guy yeah that's really cool anyway for me it was really cool so i i grew up going to church and hearing all these different like uh, titles of God and Jesus specifically. And this was the first time where I really stopped and be like, where does this even come from? Like I've heard like lamb of God my whole life. And right. mm-hmm. like I get these cheesy pictures of this lamb and this lion sitting together in this like watercolor painting thing. But it's like, Oh my gosh, it's tied to this entire prophecy. And like, these are like just like hints that people are waiting for and they hold on to these different ideas of like, is he this or this or this or this? And it's like, no, it's all of it. And that was really fun. Yeah, I think that's important that we, we, we read with those or see with those eyes. Um, you referenced so many of the allusions back to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And when we stop and read the Bible, we need to just, we need to read it very thoughtfully mm-hmm. and carefully because uh, we we miss so much of what that author is actually talking about simply because we're unfamiliar with like the Old Testament or we're, we're maybe reading so fast we don't take the time to pick up that those nuances I think they're it's really crucial so your your sermon helps to remind me and hopefully all of us uh, that when we read scripture there's a way to read it thoughtfully and carefully that really helps flesh out some of these like important um, insights and 
um, ideas that are really significant for us. Yeah. So, yeah. so you talked about not missing anything. And so I have a question for the Kraken who swims <laughs> in the depths. It's <laughs> kind of yes, yes. funny. I yeah. think from here well, on we out, miss, he's yeah, he's the Kraken. The the Kraken. We always but, miss things. I, I know, but like, do you feel like there's anything that got missed in this passage that, um, that you've seen that like... Um, good question. I wouldn't say they got missed, but... Kind of the it opening wrongs. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't there say no. We just didn't really. So yeah, it was. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. I, I, I would just say that at the beginning of our conversation, there was this idea of, um, um, you know, ah, what if you were to preach it again? Would you preach it differently, huh. or? Are there other ideas you would want to... Because you left out a lot, right? Mm-hmm. That's the nature of any preacher. He, you have to decide what you're going to say and what you have to leave for another time. So um, what would be interesting is just go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually heard a pastor one time do this. He preached the same message two Sundays in a row. He, and he said the first time last week, it wasn't what I wanted, so I'm doing it again. And I thought, well, that's really interesting that he was courageous enough to admit that and go back. So personally, I don't think that there are specific things that you missed, or at least I'm not thinking about it, but there's always room for more depth. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you when, you, when you go deeper, then you have to shrink what you're going to say about or the various topics you're yeah. going to reach. I mean, you could just take the idea of C and just follow it through the gospel I want to do that, yeah. Like in John 14, when Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, he just said, come and you will see. And yep. now he's saying, yep. he who has seen me has seen the Father. And it's like truly inviting us into a um, a lifelong process of seeing Jesus yep. and seeing the Father. Yep. Um, and that's where we are. We're trying to be disciples of Jesus. So Yeah. Um, okay, so, so speaking of that, I mean, there is this general theme of that you're able to belong before you believe. Mm, mm, I like how you put that. Okay, there's cool. this general theme. It's the calling of the disciples. Did they b- believe the first time they saw Jesus? No. I mean, like, at the end of the gospel, he's like, who do you say I am? They're like, I don't know. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, like, yeah. they don't know. Yep. Yeah. And even at the end, the end, I mean, he's come back in all of his glory and there's blood dripping from his hands and... And he's pretty much proclaiming, I am God. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I don't know. Yeah, and then they hide. Yeah, Yeah. it's like. And at the end of John, in chapter 20 at the resurrection, you know, Peter and John have that race to the tomb. Yeah. And you can look again at the word see there. Hmm. When they walk into the tomb and they see, and somebody else comes a few minutes right after him. I think John is first and Peter's second. And then. He sees and he believes because mm. there was something more profound about what he saw. He mm. didn't just see an empty tomb. Now he saw with eyes that understood something. So there's oh, constantly really a cool. progression. Of how to see. Of how what to see. see. And the thing he did not see caused him to believe. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. And then you think about this time period, though, that happened. And, and thinking about people in the church today... There is kind of like this feeling of people have to buy a car and sign the contract mm. before they even see the car, test drive the car, mm. hear about the car, 
it, 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 it's they have to be all in. Yeah. Before they can pull back the curtain and say, you have a brand new car. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it's the all in and then the discipleship begins. But, but there's this theme in John I that agree. is the come and see. It isn't, do you believe that I am him? Okay, if you do, come be a disciple. But that the discipleship journey is this journey of seeing who he is so that in the end that they could possibly believe. Mm -hmm. And these are people who saw everything, like everything that Mm he did. And throughout the whole journey, it was like, I don't know. Yeah, I I really appreciate this point because we, um, I think in 20th century and now into the 21st century, we've focused salvation so much on pray a prayer, receive Christ, now you're a Christian, right. now get discipled. Yep. And I think we're seeing a, a change in that, answering that question. It's like, you know, invite people to discover Christ and you may realize they've become a Christian and they never prayed a prayer be, with you anyway. I mean, they just, they, 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 they grew in their understanding of who Jesus is. So I think that's an important point. But um, years ago, I was reading a book on discipleship, and and they laid out like the chronology of John versus the chronology of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mm-hmm. And there is this clear sense of Jesus inviting the disciples, John one, mm-hmm. to come and see, mm-hmm. to come and discover who he is. And oftentimes we look at uh, you know the the calling of the the disciples in. Mark and Matthew, mm-hmm. and when Jesus is walking by the the sea, and they're in the boat, and he says, "Come and and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men." They leave everything, and immediately they go with Jesus. And we we think people have to leave everything immediately right. and go with Jesus. But if you take the two chronologies together, they had already discovered or begun to discover who Jesus was in the John one section, which precedes the Matthew and the Mark and the Luke. So there's this clear progression of coming and seeing, coming and following, coming and being with Jesus. So, yeah. And, and I think the other side to that, too, is not to discredit people who, on their first encounter of Jesus, they're like, oh my gosh, this is it. And like, they're in there, too. Yeah, right. Like, and yeah. true, yeah. genuine belief yeah. occurs. Like, that can happen. Of course. But the invitation for them is still the same. Now you believe, now come and see. And so it's like you can't have one without the other, regardless of the order that they're in. Because there's something to actually see and to yes. experience. And I am, I'm, I'm kind of excited to talk about this for a bit. Yeah. Um, because, um, because the Gospel of John and the excitement behind the Gospel of John, um, the, the excitement that 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 that. that I feel about the Gospel of John is for people to experience this depth that they have not uh-huh. participated in before. Mm-hmm. That goes beyond like the academic headspace of yep. like, here's some facts that I have right. about John. Right. Right. It's more of this experience of Jesus. Like John, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, like he got it. Mm-hmm. Um, he he. Got something I don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a yep. discipleship happening. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that I think that in today's culture, it's sim- 
simply ends at do you b believe? Um, yeah. And, and so if people believe, that's it. Mm -hmm. We're going to go. Mm -hmm. And then our whole Christian culture is to affirm our belief, yep. which is to defend yep. our belief. Um, but, but I think the thing that John does, and the thing that I'm excited about, it's do you believe? If so, then follow him. Yeah. And go and see yep. all of the, I mean, like, mm -hmm. and so it opens this door to the Father he says that I am the like in, and it's kind of like he isn't the end. This is the beginning of great things. Mm -hmm. Follow me, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the the invitation is almost intoxicating for for someone who has just sat at the table and put on paper. So I think that all adds uh, totally adds uh, up by belief. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you almost have Kandoff who's banging on the door <laughs> saying, there's an adventure to be had. This isn't supposed to be your home. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. come and see. Which you is, know, like, which is exactly how he ends the chapter. It's like, you will see even greater things than these. Right. You will see heaven opened and yeah. angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So yeah. Buckle up. Yeah, and it's mm -hmm. yeah. this this idea of like I don't have a desire to talk about things I, I, I have not experienced. Mm -hmm. I have a desire to come home and tell of the, the things that I have experienced. Mm -hmm. I'm like doing mm -hmm. sermons on John. There's that feeling that you experienced it mm -hmm. um, to produce the sermon that you did. There had been an experience there that said, I am so excited to get yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it did something inside of you that goes beyond, do I believe mm -hmm. Jesus is the Messiah? Mm -hmm. it's, but that isn't even a thing. Of course you do. But it's the experience of him and his greatness and his poetry and his depth. And I don't know. Yeah. I just get excited. Yeah. And that's the invitation of the sermon series. Yep. Come and yeah. see. It's good. Very okay. Good. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. All right, everybody. So go have fun, explore, dive deep. Amen. <laughs>